give yourself the opportunity. The, you don't even have to think of courage. Give yourself the yeah the opportunity to be adventurous and to apply to the daily vocabulary. What if? I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 79 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. In today's episode of the podcast, we're going to have a look back on some of the best moments from 2017, the year which came and went faster than I ever could have imagined. But, you know, I managed to do some really great things with the podcast. I traveled down to Clarinet Fest in Orlando, which was just a wonderful time. And I had on some absolute dream guests, which I was so thrilled to have on uh, people like Stanley Drucker, Ricardo Morales and more. So today we're going to feature the most popular episode of the year, the one that had the most downloads, over 6,000 times actually, and that represents around 6% of all Clarinet listens, so that's pretty amazing given the fact that we have around uh, 80 episodes now. Um, the second one we're going to discuss is the listener's choice. This was voted on Facebook. If you're not a member of the Facebook community and you want to be able to vote on things like this, be sure to search that up on Facebook. Just search Clarinet Community. We're also going to feature the most discussed episode, the one that got the most comments and started the most dialogue. This was a uh, Quite an interesting surprise. And uh, also my personal favorite. You'll find out what that is at the very end of today's episode, which is brought to you by our sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Dario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds. The first episode I wanted to share today was a conversation I actually had with Clark Phobes very early into last year. I believe it aired in January, this episode. Um, it was a surprise for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was the longest episode ever aired. I think it was an hour and a half Definitely not for the week of clarinet enthusiasm there, <laughs> um, but uh, it ended up being the absolute most popular episode of the year by a wide margin. It received over 6,000 views, which at this point represents almost 6% of all clarinet listens, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so we talked about all sorts of things, including the fact that Clark, in addition to his barrel and uh, mouthpiece and bell business now... He also is a very skilled player, playing all sorts of different professional engagements in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's played on all sorts of movie soundtracks. So we covered an extremely wide uh, area during the conversation, ranging from that all the way to some of his products. The story I felt that was most compelling and, and interesting as far as his products had to be the invention of the E-flat clarinet extension, which is a very unique product which he came up with in a surprising way. Here's Clark Phobes discussing the invention of his E-flat clarinet extension. How did you come about the idea for the E-flat clarinet extension? I actually had that idea in the late 80s, but it was for a B-flat clarinet. And the initial idea came from the fact that I play so much bass clarinet. And I just noticed when I was playing bass clarinet, and I have a low C extension, that the B natural was just so nice compared to the, the clarinet. And I realized it's because 
the tone was coming out of a tone hole and not out of the bell. Mm. And so I, I, this, this was an idea that was just floating around in my head for a long time. And I, but I didn't have the equipment or, you know, to, to experiment with it. And then uh, a friend of mine, uh, David Neathammer, who used to be principal clarinet in the, uh, I think it was called the Richmond symphony in Virginia. Uh, we'd been friends for many years and he called me and he said, Clark, I've just bought this, this ancient buffet clarinet, but it, the, the bell is too short and it doesn't tune properly. Could you make a bell for me? And I said, no, it was, it was a C clarinet. I said, no, I can't make a bell for it, but you know, I've had this idea for this extension. I said, let me, let me mess around with this. Send me the clarinet and let me mess around with this. I said, I won't charge you anything if you don't like it. So, uh, I did just some rough calculations on, um, on where to put the, the tone hole. And the first one I had the tone hole in the wrong place, but it, but it had a nice sound. And so the second one, I just, I just nailed it on the head. And, um, so I sent it back to him and he goes, wow, this has just completely transformed the instrument. And so, and he says, and it's a great conversation piece. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, I'm not going to make a lot of money making C clarinet extensions, but I wonder if this would work on E flat. So, um, you know, and, and by this time I had my own lathe. So I, uh, I started, you know, running some experiments and, you know, I just did a few rough calculations for bore and, I think the second one I made played great. And so I, you know, I, I thought I, I've got to start trying this. And I, for some reason I had, I think I had some work with the, with the uh, opera that I was playing E flat clarinet on and I took it into the opera orchestra and I stuck this thing and everybody's looking at it going, what is that? And I said, <laughs> well, this is my E flat clarinet extension. Listen to this. And, uh, it played really well. And I thought, you know, I think this is something that's commercially viable. So uh, I think it was 2004 when the clarinet conference was at uh, in Salt Lake. And uh, so I, I, I thought, well, I'm just going to bring six of these and just see what happens. And I think I sold all but one of them. I was just astonished. I think part of it, people were just, they were just kind of uh, intrigued by the novelty of it. But you know, I, I would say, well, listen, you know, try your instrument with it and then try it without it. And just the, the change is remarkable because it really changes the overall sound of the clarinet. And you may or may not like this idea, but I think it changes the sound from an E flat clarinet to just a high soprano clarinet. And it's just, it's very much more even. And also now we have the advantage of having a properly placed tone hole for the B natural. So the pitch is much better. Also, even if the, the tone hole is for your particular clarinet may not be in the right place, you can pull out a little bit and get quite a quite amount of tuning room there. So it's funny, so, you raised sort of an interesting point there about um, someone maybe not agreeing with uh, the concept of sort of tempering the E-flat sound. Um, and I was actually going to ask you about that because a lot of people, you know, they're playing Berlioz or something. They, they want the E-flat to sort of bite through the orchestra. But, you know, there's many times where the E-flat clarinet is used or misused, depending on your <laughs> your thought, as sort of an extension of the clarinet section's range, which something like this is so appropriate, you know, to, to for balance and blend and tuning and everything. Absolutely. You know, I, I used one of these in a wind ensemble for many years with great success. 
Well, I, I, and, you know, if you decide that you want to go back to a sound that, that is a little more penetrating, just don't play. Don't use it. Yeah, but I've it. found <laughs> that I, I, I'm so used to the response of the instrument with it that I can't play without it. And um, it also has this added advantage. Now, if you're really tall, this doesn't work. And if you have a long body, but for me being short, I'm 5'7", I can actually rest the clarinet on my knee because I've got this little bit of extension, mm. but it doesn't bother the sound because it's it's coming out of a tone hole. Absolutely. So I was making uh, the extensions in Blackwood and Cocobolo, and they I, I was surprised that being that far away from the mouthpiece, how the material influenced the sound, but it did. Um, the, the Cocobolo being a little bit darker, but there again, we're not using any rings. And I was having trouble with the, with the Cocobolo, uh, the Cocobolo extensions cracking. So I just thought, why don't I try making them out of rubber? And then at, by this time I had run into SEM and they had this beautiful red rubber. And I thought, well, I'll make something that looks like the Cocobolo, but it's red rubber. And it's a little bit different sound. I was surprised at how much more powerful uh, the sound was with the hard rubber extension as as opposed to a wood extension. So, you know, that's – so it's just an option. It's a, it's a sound option. But but those will absolutely not crack. No. So that's a, that's a good advantage. So the question has to be asked then. So you've made them for E-flat clarinet. You've made them for C clarinet. Um, and your first idea was for B flat, but I don't think that one's available yet. Is there a reason? Are you, is that maybe something coming up next or? Well, I, I did make a couple, I've experimented and I, I, I made about, I tried uh, about five different variations and they just didn't work. And I Hmm. found that, um, it was interesting enough, really affected the, uh, the pitch and the sound of the throat tones. It made the, the throat tones very flat. And I think that has something to do with um, changing the the taper where the where the bell comes in. And um, I think for the thing to really be effective. So with with the clarinet, you you probably know this. The bell flare is not just the bell, but it starts at about the C the F C tone hole, and it starts flaring from there. You can see that when you look in in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I think by uh, throwing the extension in. That it it disturbs the uh, the um, the the vibrating air column too much. I think for it to be effective, you would basically have to make the bore more straight and not flare as much. But then you're talking about a completely different type of clarinet. Thank you so much, Clark, for that. If you'd like to check out Clark's website, it's www.clarkwphobes.com. Speaking of products being invented, uh, new and neat things for clarinet, the second interview I'd like to feature today was actually with Ricardo Morales, and he was voted the number one listener favorite episode of the year, and I think with absolutely great cause. He's such a fantastic character to speak to. And he's just got a really great spirit about him. I loved his attitude towards music. But I found that the most compelling story for me was as he chatted with Maury Bakun to invent the MOBA clarinet, which, of course, the Morales Bakun, that's a uh, sort of culmination of their efforts to produce an instrument in his name. Not very many people have had the chance to do this. And I definitely think that it uh, does stand as one of the most interesting moments of the year. I especially enjoyed his uh, thoughts on why he wanted to dye his original barrel black, which you will hear in just a moment. This is Ricardo Morales on the collaboration effort between himself and Maury Bakun on the MOBA clarinet. 
so the, the first one, I, I have to tell you that this uh, is super embarrassing now, but immediately the ones that I prefer, the sound and uh, and the playability, etc. I was drawn to Coco Polo right away. Mm. And I remember the bell, it was so gorgeous. And I'm like, you know, but hey, hey but this brown clarinet thing, you know, everybody plays black clarinet. I cannot play with this. Uh, I don't want to, you know. So I remember calling him. I said, hey, so, uh, I love this stuff, more, but uh, listen, man, uh, would you mind dyeing my bells and barrels black? Oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> So it's, I mean, it's like, I, I think back and it's like, you know what I mean? It's a little, uh, so, uh, well, you were so, before the times a little bit though, because that was, I remember even seeing back in 2004 or five, I went yeah. up to, to, uh, see, uh, not Seattle, um, Vancouver and we saw the Pacific wind symphony playing. And I remember particularly that they all had these bacoon barrels and it was so yeah. colorful, but you never saw that anywhere back then. Right. I would qualify myself as being adventurous, etc. but even I was a little, uh, uh, so I, I can't believe, I mean, it's like, I can't believe I asked the question and he was so, I, I must tell you that he was so gracious. He was like, uh, really? Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. If, if that's what you want, uh, yeah, we can try it. I'll, I'll die for you. No problem. And then, so, yeah, so he, that's all he said, right? Which is sort of funny. And then, uh, ah, cool. So I was, peace of mind, I love this, and nobody will tell, blah, blah, blah. And like, uh, it's like three days later when I was just about to go to the post office, and I was like, you know what the hell with it? Yeah, I'm crazy, forget it. So I go, yeah, listen more, forget it, I'm just crazy. Uh, never mind, it's just nuts, you know, it's just nuts. So <laughs> it was, but, but what I uh, have to say about that is that, you know, it is normal for uh, players to, you know, see something that is, you know, off of the beaten, uh, the uh, worked, uh, already worked path and, you know, and, and to be a little apprehensive. But, you know, if I, uh, uh, what, what I would say suggest to people is yes, give yourself the opportunity. They, you don't even have to think of courage. Give yourself the yeah the opportunity to be adventurous and to um, to check uh, and to apply to the daily vocabulary. What if? Yeah. What if? You know. So that way we keep a more panoramic view of how to uh, play music, what kind of instrument we can use, uh, how to uh, how to play, etc. Well, it's very funny you say that because I feel like a lot of people pick Coco Bolo, well, not just Coco Bolo, but various things because they look different and they do want to separate themselves from it. So what was it about the feel of the Coco Bolo and the sound that you preferred if it wasn't the look itself? Yeah, well, for uh, for me, what I found was that it, that it just had a softness to the to the texture of the sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that it gave me uh, what I would call a halo in the sound. There's, you know, in Granadilla, I really like it. The upper partials of the sound uh, are very defined in a way that I would call a nice ring, like a ding, you know. Yeah. But it has, we have that, but just a little bit of a velvet blanket around it. So it's like a ding, ding, like, yeah, it's a halo to the sound. So mm-hmm. uh, whenever I would uh, play something that I just wanted just a special sound, I really like that. And, um, and also what I found was that with the, res- the response was uh, quicker. And uh, not just uh, in terms of actual speed, but like the, the amount of sound that I'm getting, when I play pianissimo or something like that, you, you can feel like it responds better and therefore it invites you to be able to play softer that, uh, and therefore you get 
uh, more courageous about playing more co- colors in the in the sound and not be oh I can I have to play ta just to be safe because otherwise the response is a little uh, uh, difficult. So this way, uh, it sort of encourages, uh, gives you permission to to be more musically minded instead of just uh, playing in a safe way. Ricardo had such great things to say, I highly recommend listening to that entire episode, which is available, of course, at clarinet.com. And if you want to learn more about the MOBA clarinet, you can find that at www.bakunmusical.com. The next episode I'd like to feature today was the most discussed one of the year. And it actually was Eric Salazar who talked about how to make your own Facebook page. And he was someone who grew his Facebook page 6,000% in one year. So he was just the perfect person to talk to about this. Um, he shared some really, really valuable insight into sort of his uh, music business philosophy. And the post generated quite a few comments on Facebook and also on the website, including some clarinetists actually being inspired to make their own page for the first time, which is just, it's really great to hear stories like that. And, you know, by the way, if you ever do have anything that you've been inspired to do since you've discovered something on the podcast or anything like that, do send me an email at feedback at clarinet.com because I just love to hear not only from people, but from what they've learned from the podcast and and some of the changes that are sort of happening out there in the clarinet community because of it. And this is Eric Salazar discussing how he grew his Facebook page by 6,000% in one year. He starts off by talking a little bit about how he finds the time to manage his social media profiles. I would equate it to what I tell my students when they claim to not have the time to practice. You, you don't find time. Time's not a magical treasure that you find with a treasure map. You make time. Uh, so uh, That's such a good point, actually. Everybody is given the same amount of time in a day. Right, right, exactly, yeah. So, uh, but the time commitment, it, I would say that it's ongoing for me. It's every day I put in a little bit of time. Some days I put in hours. Some days it's more like a half hour. It just kind of depends on what my total workflow is that week for all of my commitments. Um, My time on Facebook is like, I hardly ever use it for personal use. Mm -hmm. It's almost always, always for professional purposes. I'm actually kind of uh, an introvert in some ways. I'm a little shy, so I don't really like post my feelings that much on Facebook. So it's all professional for me. And um, the professional time is you're creating content towards uh, that guides your audience towards a business goal. Mm-hmm. So if you are a instrument maker, then your business goal is for people to buy your instrument. If you're a someone who's building a private studio, then your content should direct people towards um, hiring you as a teacher. So when I talk about investing time into Facebook, uh, I mean, creating content that guides people towards the result I want. So for me, uh, I'm using my Facebook artist page to help myself be able to perform the way I want to. Mm -hmm. So when I put time into it, I'm analyzing the data that Facebook offers me. So like, you know, age range of people who like my page, where they're from, that kind of thing. I'm also creating content and I don't mean just like typing a random sentence. I mean, really sitting down and taking maybe 20 minutes to think about, okay, what kind of picture should I post to engage my audience? Mm -hmm. So the second aspect of this money then, um, 
how much you don't have to disclose, you know, exact numbers, but but how much would be reasonable for someone to spend um, to budget for some type of advertising? And how can one do a good job of, of advertising their materials on Facebook? Yeah. So um, I'll tell you right now, my first year of it, which was last year, I was working with uh, just compared to other businesses, pretty small numbers. I invested uh, $1,500 into Facebook advertising. It's pretty low um, when you think about it. And so, uh, and if I'm using the three gigs I just got as an example for the payoff of this, the return on investment, um, I know that two of them are performance gigs and they will be a couple hundred dollars each. And then the teaching gig is about 200 if stay with me for the whole year. So that's already, um, you know, close to 33% of a return on investment just mm-hmm. from three, three uh, little gigs. And that's not everything that happened in 2016. I got quite a bit of a return on it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's about how much I invested in my first year. So there's, you know, this all these three gigs you're talking about right now, they all came up within the last couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there, there's just a couple of days of sort of how this benefit might might pay off. Um, what do you have to say about other non-material benefits? What kind of things have you experienced that, you know, didn't put money in your pocket, but made a new connection or or led to something else cool? It's led to a couple really amazing collaborations. I collaborated with this uh, rock musician. He wanted some clarinet and bass clarinet on his album. So I recorded in the studio with him some rock clarinet. And it also has led to a very recent collaboration, which is going so well. Um, There's a kind of bluegrass singer songwriter musician, Austin Sterling. And uh, he's got a band called the Hangdog Hearts. And he was looking to do sort of a stripped down set with the gypsy jazz feel. And so he searched for clarinet because that was the instrument he associated with gypsy jazz. And that was me. So we've been playing together. We've got a gig uh, in a couple of weeks here, actually. Uh, and apart from that, I not that I particularly care about uh, prestige or fame. It's being visible in my community is really, really something that means a lot to me. So it, I'm not just some clarinet player. I'm Eric Salazar. You know, I'm good clarinet player in the city and they can also see some of the things I'm doing, which I happen to be trying to make music that benefits the community. Thank you so much for that, Eric. If you want to check out some of Eric's music and his blog, you can do this at ericsalazarclarinet.com. So finally today, I want to talk about the episode that I was, uh, you know, that I would consider my favorite maybe of the whole year, although that's kind of like picking your favorite child, I suppose. (laughs) They're all sort of, uh, I like them all equally in their own way. But uh, it's one guest which, honestly, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to contact, Um, not because I thought he'd be mean or anything like that, but I just, he's just such a legend. And this is Stanley Drucker, and I I was so surprised when I received a message from Jerome Bunke, who actually was interested in having him on the show without even me reaching out first. So it was just, for me, I was totally overwhelmed, and uh, I ended up finding out that Jerome was just as interesting and had him on for his own episode a little bit later. So you can sense my sort of trepidation at the beginning of this interview. I was a little nervous, to be honest. Um, So please excuse my odd grammatical structure of this first question here. But here's Stanley Drucker talking about his new heritage collection and sort of reflecting back on his obviously outstanding career as a clarinetist. 
is there any pieces in here that you feel that a younger version of yourself would have played differently or that you would have played differently had you played them today? And uh, I asked because one of the things I think about is, is I remember Glenn Gould when he performed his original Goldberg variations and then record the same thing about 30 years later, it was a totally unrecognizable. Um, <laughs> it was, it was completely different, you know? So I'm wondering how would Stanley Drucker have played these pieces today versus yesterday? I'm not sure. I think, I think in some of them, uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a little more thoughtful, a little more uh, careful, maybe, uh, Maybe some of the tempos might be a little slower it, it, because, you know, uh, you, you think maybe you, you give it a little more gravitas, you know, uh, where, it, where when you're very young, somebody tells you, put, it, put that mouthpiece in your mouth and play <laughs> it, it, without thinking, you know, and, and that's, that's what you do. That's why I, I get back to what I said. You have to really start young uh, in, in the, and uh, if you're lucky, uh, lightning can strike. Uh, people say, oh, this is the ideal tone. There is no ideal tone. It's the tone you hear in your, in your head and your soul. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's tone is different. You know, uh, it, uh, there is a middle of the road the situation where, uh, you know, where basically you're not going to sound that nobody's going to sound that different. Uh, they, they look. They, they uh, years ago when I was a kid, the, there weren't so many recordings to to listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, the you know, the only uh, clarinet player recording was uh, Reginald Kell. We were lucky for that because he made some some great uh, recordings of the Brahms and Beethoven and Mozart trios and the and the Brahms quintet he made in 1937 with the Bush Quartet. And 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 other lighter pieces. I mean, it, it, he uh, he showed a, a side of clarinet that we didn't we weren't aware of, where where the stiff uh, regimented kind of playing uh, seemed to uh, uh, to predominate uh, in a certain sense, where everything had to be uh, four square and uh, and he he showed a, a, he showed a, a rubato. Mm -hmm. That uh, that uh, was very personal, and uh, and uh, it had a it, it really had a, a soul and beauty. Uh, now a lot of people didn't like his sound. Uh, they 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 said the, they he used the, an excessive uh, excessive vibrato. Well, it, it, maybe he maybe he did, but it was what he what he heard and what he wanted to express. Uh, now even the so-called uh, icons of the past, uh, Ralph McLean. He, he, I heard it, I, I, when I was at the Curtis, I, I attended every rehearsal of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and he used a hell of a lot of vibrato, let me tell you. Uh, it went from a, from a note that had a lot of vibrato to a, to a straight note, and then back. Mm -hmm. It was not, a, not like a flute, constant vibrato. Yeah. It was to emphasize something. But of course, it was a different. He played in the Great Hall and Academy of Music. He never had to play louder than mezzo piano. Yeah, uh, and uh, he was always in the quality zone. But uh, today, uh, they say it's his, uh, you know, a beautiful sound. But uh, it was uh, it was uh, very focused. Mm -hmm. It wasn't dark, or uh, or you know, or uh, wide. Mm -hmm. But look, everything is everything works. I mean, the, uh, it, it it depends on the on the individual. 
there's the ideal. You have to decide what, as a student, you have to decide what you want to sound like. But the, but right or wrong, there is no right or wrong. <laughs> it's a wrong note, and there's a wrong style. I'll put it that way. There is there. You know, if if a piece has to have a certain motion to it, and you're playing it like it like like it's uh, gone out of style, you know. Uh, that's that's I would call that a, a wrong, but uh, other other than that, there there is no right or wrong. But if you're in an orchestra, the the the, the, the person on the podium uh, re- making requests is right, and you have to try to do what what they do. That's what the if you're in a if you're in a quintet, everybody has has their own voice to speak. Mm-hmm. String quartet, woodwind quintet, you you can speak. A solo recital, you can speak. Orchestrally, you you have to fit. Like I said, you have to enhance somebody at one point, and then a person has to enhance you at another point. And then, then the, those are the best orchestral players. Thank you so much, Jerome Bunky, for setting that up. And, uh, of course, Jerome produced that album set, and it's available from digitalforce.com. Highly, highly recommend it. It's just such a fantastic collection of Stanley's performances through the years, live performances, uh, performed in settings which you might not expect. So um, I also want to mention that Stanley, of course, just turned 89. So happy birthday, Stanley. I believe that was on February 4th, just about a week ago. And uh, I had such a wonderful experience meeting him at Clarinet Fest this year, which was, uh, he also gave a couple of presentations there. And, uh, you know, I could start a whole ramble again about why it's very important that you go to Clarinet Fest, but I will leave that for another time. Great experiences to be had, though, all around there. So... And that concludes today's episode of Reflecting Back on 2017. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. What was your favorite episode? Do you think we missed something in this list here? Or is there something something else you'd like to see in the upcoming year that has never been addressed on the show? Of course, you can send me a message at feedback at clarinet.com or you can head to the detailed show notes page for this episode at clarinet.com slash 79. If this is your first time listening to the show, first of all, thanks so much, and I'm really hoping that you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you happen to be listening. You can also keep in touch by following us on social media and by joining our email list. I send out updates about new content and sometimes even coupon codes for discounts on apparel and and other items. I'd like to thank Megan Taylor, who is our copy editor. She's been writing the show notes pages for me now, and it's uh, been wonderful to have her on board helping out with the podcast. And I'm your host, Sean Perrin, coming to you from the freezing cold Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We'll see you again soon for more of what's new and neat for Clarinet on the Clarinet Podcast. The show is brought to you in part by the support of its listeners. If you'd like to learn how you can support the show on a weekly basis, please visit clarinet.com support. Of course, it was also brought to you by our season sponsor, Daddario Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Daddario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Daddario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds.